Hi everyone, it's Chris Lasarenko from Revolutions Per Movie. The show is a completely independent affair, so if you feel like supporting the show, the best way is to go over to patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie, where in exchange for your support, you can get weekly bonus Revolution Per Movie episodes, stickers, membership cards, upcoming guests include Anne Magnuson of Bong Water, Bob Burt of Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, Jerry Casali of Devo, and Homer Flynn of The Cryptid Corporation, representing the band The Residents. So please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the show. My guest this week is Eva Walker. Eva is a Seattle-based musician and radio host, and she is the co-founder of the rock and roll band The Black Tones. And she's previously the host of KEXP's long-running show, Audio Oasis, and currently the host of Early. In addition to making music, she has produced many concerts and events. Her first one at 16 years old was to help the victims of Hurricane Katrina, and her latest at 32 years old was an event for the BBC's Art Hour on tour. Her band, The Black Tones, have played with acts such as Mavis Staples, Weezer, Fishbone, Death Cab for Cutie, and they opened a five-week national tour for Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Walker has also worked and collaborated with members of Pearl Jam, Barrett Martin of the Screaming Trees, and three-time Grammy winner, Brazilian legend, Nando Reese. Whether soloing on electric guitar in knee-high white boots or singing with her entire family on stage, Walker is a sought-after artist and culture curator in Seattle's thriving music community. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Revolutions Per Movie, Eva Walker. Hi. Yay. Hi, Chris. So good to see you. You too. You picked the film Stop Making Sense, the 1984 classic directed by Jonathan Demme. But I want to talk about the Black Tones. How is it being in a band with your twin? I mean, is that an easy relationship? I wouldn't say there's any bad parts to it, honestly. Even like, even if we argue about something or whatever, um, it actually makes it easier because we know each other really well. And siblings argue sometimes. It's fine because um, we're always going to like love each other and go back to each other, you know. Um, but I was a lot more introverted than I am now. I'm still pretty introverted, but not as much as I was when I was younger. So it was one of those things that was like, I don't know if I could do this with anyone to the degree I want to do this with with anyone that I'm not related to. <laughs> it's hard for me to get really close to people. And um, my twin brother is my best, best, best friend. Um, so when he told me he wanted to learn drums, I was stoked. I was like, yes, okay. So I taught him drums one summer. That's amazing. I think we started on our birthday. And then that fall, we had our first show. That was 2011. And it's great. I mean, yeah, it's great. We would, we were each other's, you know, playmates as kids and now we're each other's bandmates as adults. It's freaking perfect. <laughs> so how do you write the music between the two of you? Well, th there was a lot of songs that I had written like previous to the band starting. Um, and I do write a lot, at least my parts um, alone. Um, but it's become more collaborative where we're just kind of jammed now or he'll come to me like with the drum beat like hey look at this beat I learned can you put something to it and that's actually how the key of black was written um, okay yeah so I kind of I give him credit for for uh, that song for um, or at least initiating like the ideas for that song but um yeah you know just ideas that we have I write a I, I shouldn't say I write a lot I <laughs> I when I write, it's usually, you know, me in my room trying to like, like something. I don't write a lot of music because I hate everything I write. So. <laughs> oh, welcome to the club. Yeah. I, I, I heard totally it was a club way. and that that was the membership uh, requirement. <laughs> I hate so many of the songs I write. And then I'll be like, all right, two of this hundred yeah. are worth it. I'm yep. jealous of people who seem to just be able to put it out, barf, barf out all that. But that I is know. not me. So welcome. Nice to nice to welcome you into. I'm this honored to be club. in the club. It's a stressful <laughs> club. It's stressful as hell. It is. But <laughs> it is. It is because I think there's a pressure to 
to look at others and be like, oh, well, you know, why can't I write four albums like Elvis Costello in two years or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Robert Pollard? And it's like, or even the Talking Heads were making, you know, these albums were coming out um, every 10 months. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing amount of, it's just a different Absolutely. gear. I don't know. It's kind of also nice to be protective of something and be like, you know, I just, I know this is not as good. I have to go through the thing to get to the good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just want it to, I just want it to be the best I, I know it could be, you know? Totally. Totally. And what about your mom? I saw some footage of her on stage at Bumper Shoot. Yeah. That was amazing. So when did she enter into the picture for, for um, the band? Oh, man. I don't remember what year it was, but it was at the old Crocodile. And Hobosexual mm -hmm. was doing um, a headlining show. And they asked us to open. And I think Night Train was the main support. And then it was them. And we were like, whoa, we're playing the crocodile. You know, at the time, that's a, that was a big deal, you know, sure. for like a small indie band. Well, and you grew up in Seattle, right? So it yeah. was like the so, legend. Exactly. Yes. There's all these like venues you want to check off of your list that you want to play at. Right. And so... It was our first time playing the crocodile, so I wanted to make it big. So um, I had my sister singing backup and my mom singing backup at the start of the show. I don't actually, actually, I don't think we started the show with it. I don't really remember, but I had my mom tap dance because she tap dances. Oh my and so God. she was tap dancing to the key of black with like this fringe dress on. And people were like, what the hell is going on? What is this? Who is this band? Uh -huh. uh, and I just like went all out. I was like, okay, mom, you're going to dance. Gigi, you're going to sing. We're going to do this, this. And just like went nuts. And um, people loved it. And my mom loves being on stage. Like for her career, she was an educator, a principal, a teacher. Okay. But her first love was, was dance. And she just likes performing. And so now that she's retired, she can kind of live that performance like dream out through us and i was like yeah my give her a tambourine like you come and sing whenever you want on stage she you know we have a routine she knows her parts and she sang on every at i think except one at every show on the five-week tour and the crowd loved her she got the biggest roar every time that was like every time i introduced her and um everyone was just like stoked like oh my god your mom is here performing with you on tour this is amazing and she took to touring she was like get me in the van yeah she loved it she's just you know she didn't have to we didn't make her carry much but <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of easy for her but uh yeah. no yeah she likes traveling and she just likes being she likes being included and stuff and she's been so supportive and um of everything that you know that's killer i was like yeah that's killer <laughs> the um i wanted to talk to you about uh your move to the morning shift too and about thinking about music in the morning when i was in college i had a radio show at um at the evergreen radio station um chaos and calvin johnson was my uh, station manager from k records and um john goodmanson the producer myself met in the lobby and he just basically said you're on from midnight till six in the morning and I just remember around four o'clock in the morning, just not even really understanding music anymore. How do you get into that gear to be able to even talk or let alone listen to music that early in the morning? Yeah, well, you have a very long shift. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the shows are, um, the longest shows are four hours and they're overnight one to five during the weekdays. But most of the shows are three hours. My show is two hours. Okay. Um, so it's not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I don't know if I could do six hours. That we were young and it was like it was yeah. trial by fire. It was like if you can get through this, then we moved. We had, a you know, a nine to 11 slot like, you know, yeah. six months later. But it was like you have to show your your dedication. Yeah. Oh, I like this question you asked, though, because then it's going to have me talk about my sleep a bit. So. Um, I'll try to keep it quick. Um, I always thought I was insomniac because my sleep was always broken. And that was sort of the answer I had. And now I think about it, I'm like, it was kind of a lazy answer. Like, oh, I'm just, in, in, I have insomnia, I have insomnia. But I just kind of discovered that I am a segmented sleeper, which, you know, is um, for people who don't know, means that you kind of 
split your sleep up into two or more sessions. And I do that naturally. And I've done that for years. I just didn't know what that was called. And because I wasn't sleeping six to eight hours straight, I just thought, oh, I have insomnia. So um, that made it easier to say yes early because I was like, well, I'm already up at three and I'd love to be a five day a week DJ. I started coming out on the couch at about three, three thirty four, and I would listen to music. And that was me researching what I wanted to hear that early in the morning. So I was listening to songs that like felt good oh, wow. at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and so on. Um, and that helped me prepare for what the show is now. And so things that worked for me were craft work worked for me. Um, a lot of new wave, also really old blues from like the 1920s. Yeah. I love that stuff. Um, certain soul songs, maybe like Curtis Mayfield, things like that. Even Public Enemy worked for me. Certain songs worked that early in the morning. So all of so that segmented sleep helps me prepare for this uh shift you're made for it um in a really cool way yeah <laughs> that's incredible yeah i was i was like oh well this is i never someone would have told me years and years ago when i was having this sleep cycle that this would be really useful in your career someday. oh my god that's so great <laughs> i wouldn't have believed them yeah is there a a, a favorite morning song you have that just is just perfection oh boy that's a really good question um i think my go-to would be computer love from Craftwork. oh that's such a good one yeah yeah it works very well we're gonna get into it a bit here talking about stop making sense that was my parents music my dad was an architect and so that was my dad listened to Craftwork and things and he, and his band was the talking heads so that was like my parents' music, right? Mm. And I I thought it was a little square. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> so my parents took me to see the tour that became Stop Making Sense as a holiday present for the whole family. That was our gift. And I was so not looking forward to it and cynical. Really? Yes. Because oh I was like, God. speaking in tongues had come out. And I was like, it's kind of pop. It's not as weird, kind of going for it. And it was one of the best shows I've ever seen because I was transformed. I went from, I I kind of changed that night from being like, you need to just be, you can't be a snob. You can't be, I mean, at 13, I was already a snob. And I think that was part of it was <laughs> I had the shield of like, the music I loved, I was like, I, I had to, be protective of it because, you know, I could be picked on for liking weird music back then. Yeah. So, um, but over the course of the concert, I just fell in love with it. And I just fell in love with the talking heads. And um, so to have this film documented was a really big uh, thing for me too, because it was just such a big moment and then it was just gone. And all I had was just pictures in my mind. So, had you heard much of their music before you saw the film? You know what? Yes, I had heard them, um, and I and I liked the Talking Heads. They were it was like my classic rock phase, my blues like phase, which has never ends, never will end, and then um, everything else, and that included the Talking Heads. Okay. And so, okay, I I do remember it was oh god, probably ten or so years ago now that I. Uh, I'd like to go down YouTube wormholes. That's like my segment I have on KXP, the Walker wormhole one day, and before obviously radio i was on radio and stuff i would just scroll youtube and i found talking heads song um or i found the performance of this will be the place yeah yeah that was the that was the first performance of that movie that i saw on youtube and the thing that made me first explore the talking heads so now i'm going back a little bit more to begin with was and i've talked about this on the radio a little bit was i would drive in a car i would always have the classic rock station on and um once in a lifetime would come on and for some reason that song freaked me out i don't know why my brain was like this is a weird creepy sounding song it freaked me out and then I became intrigued by it. 
And so I think I what happened was I was watching that music video, which was equally, equally creeped me out. <laughs> because David Byrne is like this kind of kind of like Grace Jones, where they have this kind of uncanny valley kind of way of entertaining people where it's just like is this reality but it's not really you know it just kind of like mind fuck you a little bit with their with their visuals and i love it and so i started it started with once in a lifetime and i I saw the music video and then i explored more and then i found talking stop making sense but i only had seen the this must be the place performance and then i at some point I, i saw it was a whole movie and ended up watching that and i remember sharing the video with my brother and he ended up loving This Must Be The Place. And it ended up being, um, like, I, I think um, a song that him and his wife at the time, like, shared together. Um, so it, like, kind of entered his life in a significant way. Um, but, yeah, so that was, I mean, that was years ago. I'm just thinking about it now. Well, those those moments are so great because those moments that kind of scare you in music a bit, but you can't yeah. put your finger on it. Like like I ten cc's I'm not in love for some reason was so creepy and sad and dense and I just it was like it was pushing on me in a really weird way um and I love those kind of experiences yeah that things that just chemically change you um and and then and then it's so funny in retrospect you look back on it and you're like it's just part of your DNA now yeah exactly. and you're like you're like Oh, I can. I've seen the video a million times. I've heard the song. I I I can play it backwards and forwards. But um, Grace Jones thing is a really great analogy because they both do a lot with a little, mm-hmm. like the turn of a head, or just the move of an arm, or the like the aerodynamic like shapes or the geometrical yes. sharp edges and shapes of like either what they're wearing or how a picture's done, and it's they're they're both bizarre in a really great way um and and that was also a way the way i was introduced to craft work i was like this is bizarre i saw that music video from the 70s of the robots and i was like this is weird um and then i loved it and it's it's funny it's like if that's my reaction then i'm gonna it stays in my brain i'm like i need to further explore this even though it's kind of creeping me out a bit (laughs) and then i end up being a huge fan (laughs) well there's even moments seeing this concert tour live that really unnerved me having the audience lights all the way up and david byrne walk out on an on an empty stage where you see the back of the theater and people kind of milling around the side you almost felt like oh oh shit they've made a mistake people are still finding their seats and then he starts into you know psycho killer with the boom box yeah and um it was just such a great little entryway, but there was just little moments. Like I remember when they, you know, they bring out the band members one by one. Um, Tina Weymouth comes out next and does heaven. And during that, they start pulling out the riser with the drum set. And I'll never forget the audience. Just, and it's in the film, but they just, the audience just goes, yeah, like they're so excited that a drum set is being pulled out. Yeah. During this really <laughs> beautiful two person song and i just remember getting the chills of like i don't know what's gonna happen it seems really quaint but you know i was i was 13 or something like that and i still get that way with shows like i can get overwhelmed with live music and an audience and a show experience but i just remember that it seemed really masterful that they just knew that okay we're gonna have some roadies bringing stuff out now and we're gonna have some rock soon they knew that an audience would cheer just that moment of of an object being dragged on stage i am so jealous that you got to see witness and see that in person like that's just and i mean yeah and that's what i loved about just the buildup of the movie where they're pretty much putting the stage together as part of the performance it's it's a it's visual like a visual art piece as well as you know a concert and it's amazing and then on top of that they're all just wearing this very muted gray color like it's and the music's funky as hell it's yes. like they david byrne like grace jones and like people that kind of and like kate bush and craftwork that just like these contrasting 
things that, that yes. you know what I mean? It's just like, it's amazing. And I love that stuff, you know, um, and they do a really good job at executing that. And during the pandemic, when the pandemic started, when the stay at home order started, um, at the, my husband and I had both had, you know, seen the movie already and all that. And we saw it actually at the theater. Um, it was in the movie theater, not that maybe a few years ago, um, our local movie theater was just showing it and we we're like, let's go see it. But on the first day of the like shutdown, my husband put on stop making sense. And we were watching that every morning making cookies during the first part of the pandemic of the stay at home order. And that like got us through this weird change of like, wait, what's happening? Um, <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm well aware that I was lucky to see it. And again, it did, I did change my attitude. I mean, I, I, I was very fortunate to have, parents who are even interested in something like that and bringing their kids to it rather than, you know, being like, we're going to go out and see this. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Um, the the outfits you talk about, Chris Franz was also supposed to wear like a really muted suit, but yeah, he's got it, like a turquoise shirt on. Yes, because he had it at the dry cleaners and it didn't come back on time. And they had he had to wear that shirt for continuity all the time for the rest of the three day shoot that they did in in, in, oh. in Hollywood. But I can imagine David Byrne being so upset <laughs> I know. at that because I think the band was also starting mm -hmm. to fracture a bit. They'd already taken yeah. three years off between um, Remain and Light. They were playing out with a, a version of this band. Steven Scales, the percussionist was with them. Bernie Worrell from yep. Funkadelic and, and P-Funk was with them. And I think Lynn, Lynn Mayberry and Ed yes, Holt were also in it. But they had Adrian Ballou, who was part of King Crimson and played guitar on Remain in Light, was part of that original group that before this tour started that was playing like um, Remain in Light and Fear of Music stuff. And there's a really great concert footage you can probably find online of them playing in Montreux Jazz Festival, I believe. Hmm. And it's you just see that they've already got the chemistry and all that funk you're talking about. They're just dialed in. It's just, they were an, such an unlikely band to become such a force, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you see David Byrne, you're like, this like dorky, skinny, <laughs> like what? What is, this? what is this? And then he's got like the most funkiest, amazing musicians to like back up and make the Talking Heads music just even more bigger and funkier and amazing. You're just like, oh my Bernie God. Bernie Morrell. <laughs> yeah. He's a legend. I got to see Bernie Morrell um, at Nectar before he passed away um, play. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm like, God, can you come join my band, man? Like, what the hell? But yeah, I mean, and Bernie, you know, played those songs because he genuinely liked those songs. I mean, yes, Talking Heads were pretty funky you know uh for like a group of dorky white kids like they're really like really good yeah and even the tom tom club you can just tell a lot of their uh, in influence um with the tom tom club and just like the talking heads like are inspired by a lot of black music and that's shown through you know even just looking at stop making sense the entire backing band is black which is like incredible but also like yeah this is the music where th this is the culture this music's coming from which i really appreciated seeing um in that documentary or i guess it's not a documentary but in that music uh that concert movie you know um but yeah it's just it's just incredible and i mean things from him dancing with the lamp on this must be the place to like pictures of butts during <laughs> <laughs> the song like it's just like they're so weird they're so funky and i'm just like this is like gotta be one of the most perfect executed bands ever but also had its you know issues within within you know their um yeah i guess within their circle yeah. or whatever yeah even the tom tom club which was selling really well you know david Byrne was pretty dismissive of it um and I, I can't imagine the deal they made where, I mean, I know he had to go change into a different costume during the Tom Tom club thing, but I still feel like, um, you know, it, yeah, those two worlds kind of like of that, those two bands, it feels a little bit like 
and out like I'm going to throw them a bone or something like that to do their thing. I, I it's it's so weird. They they just did a recent interview with Spike Lee as this got um, reissued. And and it was also really interesting because, like, you know, a lot of people didn't know that this film, that this concert was not made to be filmed. It was like a stage show already that was documented. Um, so they talked about how Jonathan Demi came and saw the show and got excited about it and wanted to make a film of it. The band raised all the money themselves. They raised $1.2 million to make the films themselves. They had Lisa Day, the editor, who... Uh, edited uh, Home of the Brave, the Laurie Anderson film, as well as the Hal Ashby film, uh, the Rolling Stones film, Let's Spend the Night Together. Hal Ashby had developed a new editing system where they could look at all the camera footage at once um, on different screens. It was like really new technology for them. So they could point out the moments like, oh, Alex is doing something really interesting on the guitar there. And oh, over here, uh, you didn't notice, but like, you know, Bernie stuck his tongue out. And so they could kind of weave this thing together with this new technology. It was basically like an ensemble film where you're getting to know the characters one by one. Yeah. And then you start learning the personalities of each of the people. You're like, oh, Jerry Harrison, he can't dance. <laughs> he can't keep yeah. up. It's like really sweet. He's trying to do the stage moves, but he's got it backwards and he's holding on. And I love the little Easter eggs that are in that are in that film. For sure, on the stage. Totally. Yeah. yeah, there's really cool choices that just show, like, just somebody, like, looking at somebody else on the stage. Yeah. Like, and sharing a smile, like, this is good, right? You know? Yeah. There's this part where, like, where Ed, where uh, Alex and uh, Bernie are looking at each other after, um, I think after Bernie does, like, a, he ends his solo and Bernie and Alex are looking at each other, and then Bernie looks at him and kind of like does this like little shiver at Alex. It's really funny, and Alex kind of like just chuckles and is just like yes. And I pointed that out to my brother, and now we both just like do it, and we can't like unsee it. It's just it's hilarious, and there's a lot of that like in the film. It's so great to watch. And as you mentioned earlier, the band members are brought on one by one. You know, Chris Franz comes out and plays. Uh, Thank you for sending me an angel. So it's the first moment where it's getting out of the acoustic thing and into the rock thing. And then Jerry Harrison comes out and plays Found a Job, which I was obsessed with as a kid. Um, once I learned to love the talking heads. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's a song about a couple trying to change their life and they do it through writing television, like sitcoms. And it, it wasn't till a little while ago that I kind of thought about how it felt like David Byrne was taking the 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 old rock and roll standard of jukebox hero. Like, yeah, he picked up a guitar, and a week later, he had the number one song on the charts. <laughs> and, and there's so many songs about that. But this is kind of like a really geeky industry way of talking about a different genre, uh, a different industry, but the same thing. I just thought it was really funny. I'd never really thought about how. It's kind of the same story, but just in television. Like, we've got the number yeah. one show. And we were started from nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great that that's what it is. It's a television story and not like another music uh, story coming from musicians. Um, and one of the things I actually really love about that song during that performance is I think Tina's bass line is like the best. I immediately had to pick up a guitar and try to learn what she was playing. She's incredible. <laughs> she is I such a big influence. I was a bass player first, uh, and she I, was one of the top three for me in terms of it was like she's unreal. It was she's like her, unreal. Mike Watt, and um, Mike Mills from REM because I could hear it. It was so different and it was so essential. Um, and also her stage moves are cool. Like she'll just yeah. bend her knees one way back and forth, <laughs> but there's a power to it. And I wanted to ask you about that, too, because I know you are a very um, hyper performer and I am a very hyper performer. But it is interesting watching this film, how some of the things they do are very slight and carry like a lot of lightning bolt to it. And it. it yeah. And it made me go like, 
oh, maybe I've been doing it wrong all these years. You know, you know I think, you know, I, it's funny you say that because I move around a lot because I don't have the chops. Tina has the chops, so she doesn't okay. need to distract by, by, by shaking her butt in people's faces because she's got the chops. And I'm like, I kind of play guitar, but you rather just want to see me make weird faces and kick oh. my legs around. <laughs> I'm distracting from my hands. <laughs> we are so similar. All these things you're saying, I'm just like, yes, I totally am the same way. I'm like, <laughs> look at this. I'm gonna crawl through John's legs right now. And he's gonna he's gonna I'm gonna be a table and I'm gonna play guitar on the ground while he sits on me. It's just like, yeah, I'm just trying to get through the song. But yeah, she um is is incredible in it. And um I also like that, you know, there were moments where she would go up and play like um, synth keyboard, which I didn't really know that she was playing, that some of those songs yeah. had a bass keyboard on it. I thought was really cool. For um, Burning Down the House, she did yes. that. And she was on guitar for This Must Be the Place, I think, um, where she was doing those harmonic. Um, do, 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 do. That was her. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Because you're. Does your brother have any opinions on Chris Franz as a drummer? He loves Stop Making Sense. Um, but I have not not specifically that I really have heard. He's so interesting. He's got one of the most um like one some of the best posture of a drummer I've ever oh, seen. Oh yeah. Like he's just really you know, like rigid. Yeah. And um when he's doing all the fills, they're like so emotive, but his his body isn't moving yeah it's just his arms it's really kind of strange and, the, and i think the everyone in the band has a bit of that and i don't know if you you know if you watch the early cbg's footage of them where they just seem so almost shy or it's not embarrassed but they almost feel like you just have to kind of give them the the courage in a way to do what they're doing for them to still have embody a bit of that but just also be so confident like they know that they are kicking ass oh in yeah this thing absolutely and one of the things that reminds me of my brother or what that reminds me of chris when i see my brother drumming is that they're both like happy drummers they're not so like yes. you know what i mean like my brother's like smiling and like singing too and like ah like yelling stuff out and i'm just like and so, yeah, I haven't heard him like personally really talk much about him, but they do kind of like as far as their persona and like like how they present when performing is it's it's pretty similar. <laughs> it's really cute. I think joy in performance is an underrated um, yeah. thing, especially. Well, everyone wants to look like a badass and, you know, like I don't smile. It's like, come on. <laughs> I wanted to ask you if if you had a favorite moment or song in this film because at this point they're doing life during wartime and that to me is the one that just kills me every time yeah um that one's really great oh god <laughs> just one i really love burning down the house that's, that's my favorite talking head song and i also really like the live the live one from that movie it's so good but Making Flippy Floppy is also like really close for me too. Um, yeah. But I'm going to go with Burning Down the House because I think that's the one I'll play in my car more often of, as far as like the live off of that, off of the Stop Making Sense like soundtrack. And it's weird because they were kind of just making talking head music. You listen to a song like Burning Down the House and it is kind of like, what is it? It's got this really long droney intro with this really weird you know acoustic guitar lead you know riff on it cycling through yeah and it's a much more energetic of course than like the original recording the live the live one but yeah. i mean both are so so good <laughs> yeah and i love david's stage moves at this point he, he, he does some things that are just so small but they're incredible like in life during wartime he starts just um moving his legs his knees back and forth i was going to point that out when he shakes his like knees he brings his knees yes. in and out and it makes his pants yes. wave and i'm like ah 
and the camera angle that they caught during that i was like yes and then he starts waving his arms yeah he was like a freaking like jellyfish or something i'm just like oh my god yeah then he just gets into <laughs> kind of grandpa dance mode where he's just like i'm putting my elbows on my hips and i'm swinging them around and my knees are going back and forth i love it and then he runs laps around oh. at like at the end of the song around the stage i'm just like this is fantastic yeah one thing I wanted to add, too, is um, when we were talking about the use of the space of the stage, like only David Byrne can like make running like a form of dancing. <laughs> totally. You know what I mean? I was just like, yeah, that's, that's a dance move because he's doing it <laughs> and it works. You steal any of his any of his uh, moves yet? Uh, I want to say probably. And if not his, uh, definitely Tina's. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he did that every night. These things were very calculated. He's it was very theatrical. You know, part of the reason he had the big suit was he was on tour in Japan and he was asking about Japanese theater. And they're like, well, everything here is just larger on stage because, you know, we just have to has to hit the back of the room. And he just took it literally. He's like, OK, I'm going to make everything kind of bigger. You know, the suit. Yeah. And but he also wanted to simplify things like lighting. You know, when mm -hmm. he comes out in the big suit, it's just like there's just a single light going across the stage. It's like a stagehand backlighting different people and creating shadows. And um, that was also left a big impression on me um, when I was young. Just seeing their use of the stagehands and their performance were one and the same. People could walk in and out and and do their thing and be introduced. And and it was a, it felt like a collective it felt like everybody was involved. And I just like, I was like kind of amazed. I was like, they gave somebody a light and that's their job. They get to walk out there. How, like, that's amazing. They'll, they get to do that every night and they don't know where they're going to go. And I just, yeah, thought, yeah it's, it's incredible. And there's a few performances where, yeah, it was just like maybe just a couple or few lights and their, but their shadows were blasted behind them on the, as a backdrop, which was super cool. I know once in a lifetime, I think, did that then the other song um i'm blanking on the name the whoa that song had it um swamp but yeah 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 just yeah like they're super just easy yeah it's super cool did you see american utopia when it was on tour uh you know me and my husband uh we go to the east coast around his birthday that's where he's originally from and we as a birthday gift we i got them tickets to american utopia and it was like we didn't even realize it was about to be ending so it was kind of within the last few months before it permanently stopped nice um, but yes we got to see it in person and uh same gray outfits not same but like the gray color outfits uh it was incredible and it was a dream to like we yes. were three rows from the front or two rows from the front or something like that and i'm proud to say i made eye contact with david Byrne, oh and i i can die now <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a great show i actually um took my family to see it and i i got us the same seats in the same box that i saw talking heads wow. at the same theater at the keller in portland i was like i kind of want to just be in the same region um it's such a thoughtful show again such a cool use of space um they had kind of I, it wasn't like chain link but it yeah was... they look like it was chains but i don't know what yeah whatever the metal kind of drop whatever that was i know what you're talking about i thought it was chains but not like chains that are you know used to like you know keep a fence lock like they were smaller than that but yeah i thought that was a cool addition to that yeah and none of the musicians have again no amplifiers on stage yeah they yeah. everything's wireless they've broken up the drum set to be carried and played on stage yeah so somebody's playing the kick drum and walking around somebody's playing cymbals and a snare i think there was three drummers that made up a full kit and then again hands kind of coming through the chains and handing a guitar and like no separation between stagehand and what's going on the stage. Um, and they also even had somebody do like the single light thing and cast some shadows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I hadn't realized that until I watched Stop Making Sense again recently. And you know what I loved about that for American Utopia? What I loved about that particular instance of them using the backdrop is 
I feel like when you looked at David Byrne's shadow, you saw like his younger self in a way because it was just his silhouette. But you you could imagine like you could imagine the talking head stop making sense shadow of yeah. David Byrne. That's what I took from that. And I was like, wow, it looks like I'm looking at David Byrne now and also David Byrne back then with the shadow. I was blown away. I, I didn't really know what to expect. I was just excited to see David Byrne, you know, after yeah. all this time. <laughs> you know, he's easy to take for granted, I feel like, because mm. he's, you know, he's kind of a, you know, you can be like, oh, he's just kooky and, you know, he's just been around forever. Um, but he's a genius. He is. He is a genius. And those Talking Heads records are just um, peerless. I mean, they're classics. It's so interesting that they ended up having songs on classic rock radio, you know, Take Me to yeah. the River and Once in a Lifetime and, you know, Life During Wartime. It's just so unlikely, Burning Down the House. And I'm just like, cool, you know, weirdos got through. Um, yeah. Which is, you know. Very true. As you know, from working on radio, it's always exciting when you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that this is known. <laughs> yeah. And especially working at KXP where we'll play any and everything if it's good, if it's a demo, if, if it has three likes on Facebook, we don't care if it's good. We'll play it. That's what I love about being at that station, because we would um, if let's say the talking heads were just getting started, we would play them and we would have them in studio. We'd be like, you need to get on this. We wouldn't be waiting yes. for top 40 to do it first. Right. We would want to, we would want to be the ones to do it first, you know? Um, right. So that's just like our mission. That's what makes it such a great station too, for that reason. So you mentioned earlier, um, this must be the place naive melody, that little dance David does with the lamp is just, it's really lovely. It I mean, is. I, I never get tired of watching it. What I liked about that performance with David Byrne with the lamp, I'm like, he's such a weirdo, and I'm a weirdo. Yeah. And I really, he's dancing with a freaking lamp, which I read back, I don't remember how far back, that I think he copied that from a movie, an old movie where uh, some an actor was doing that with a, a coat rack, I think is what it was. I don't think it was a lamp. I don't remember. Okay. Um, but I was just like, that is so just bizarre and such a weird thing to do. But it's it makes for a great performance. And so I think as far as the music part goes, again, that's me just kind of winning myself over and like, do I love this song? Is this what I want to give out to the world? And right. then as far as the performance part, that's where I'm like really considering the audience because I'm like, I want you to have a good time. I want to be vulnerable and I'm going to be weird. And yeah. I want you to feel like you can relate like if you're like that you can relate to me and we have this in common and we're in this together and I'm not you know I don't even know how to put it I'm performing to the back of the room but it's also like here's my guts y'all yeah. there's also <laughs> a sense of them not being concerned of what people think of them or that they might yes. you know that they might come off a little uncool or it's geeky or it's not that sophisticated of a dance. There's a complete confidence um, to these little moments. And, and you know, just so just having a, a single prop and just there's only so much you can do with it. It can only go one direction or the other, but it just it, it just creates this lovely little moment with an inanimate object. Yeah, um, that is kind of highly emotive. And yeah. uh, it it radiates off the screen. At the end of the film, they do Cross-Eyed and Painless, which is my favorite Talking Heads song. Um, I love the recorded version so much with all the Eno production and the weird guitars swimming around. They're just Everyone just gets a moment. There's great guitar stuff between Alex and David just going nuts. They bring out the lights come up in the audience. They bring out the stage crew. You see the film crew. Everything's just left on the stage. Jonathan Demi did a really great job of carrying that energy from that performance through the screen. When I saw this in the theater, when it came out, people, the theater was up on their feet dancing to the movie. That's only happened oh, yeah. twice, twice in my life where I've gone to a movie and people were dancing. And I just thought, this is just a movie being projected, but people, it was just, it was just on people. And um, I think it's just, uh, uh, you know, arguably 
the greatest concert film of all time. Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. Thousand percent. So if there was a song that wasn't included in this film by the Talking Heads, what would you want to hear in it? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, I think maybe Road to Nowhere. All right. Yeah, I really like that song. What do you what would they do for it? Do you think? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's got like the snare. It's kind of got like a snare drum, like a yeah, the da, 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 yeah. kind of a marching uh, sort of rhythm. Um, yeah. Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I have to think about that. What would I want them to do for that? Um, well, if you were doing a cover version of it, what would you do on stage? What would I do? That's really funny you say that because I've literally thought about that with that particular song. Um, I would feature, so there'd be musicians on stage, of course, and then there would be a spotlight that would go to the person playing the accordion part, because mm-hmm. that accordion kind of comes out of nowhere. And then slowly more and more people kind of gather on the stage for that gang vocal of, we're on the road. And then soon I'm off of the stage, and then we're like, I'm like leading them out through the audience just like chanting this road to nowhere i i love songs that make me think of um and maybe they didn't mean it this way but i'm like an existentialist where i i'm I'm always thinking about like existing and what is it and consciousness and all those things and i'm also like reasonably atheist but if i'm gonna be like accurate agnostic because i don't actually know what there is and isn't but um, but I think about like existentialism a lot and that song reminds me of that and it sounds like an anthem for that. It's the same reason why I like the Beatles Nowhere Man because that's the same message I get with that song. Like he's a real nowhere man living in a nowhere land. I'm like, that's kind of what this shit is, right? <laughs> you know? And maybe these are like, that's not what these songs were supposed to be, but that's what they mean to me. And so Road to yes. Nowhere is one of those like existentialism songs to me that's just like, yeah, it's just like an anthem. Uh, like, we're on a road to nowhere. And that's okay. There doesn't, <laughs> have, there doesn't have to be heaven or hell. There's nothing. But we can yes. still like, can't we just get along anyway? <laughs> I don't know. That's amazing. I love uh, it. Uh, that's the perfect answer. It's so funny because people want to be like, oh, you're atheist, so you're going to hell. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm like a pretty ethical. I'm like one of the nicest atheists I know. Like just because I don't really think there's anything that's going to happen but me becoming worm food or dust or whatever, I don't oh. need like a reason to be nice to people. I don't need like a adult Santa Claus as a reason to be nice to someone. Like that doesn't, that's, I don't need that. Like I could just, die and nothing happens and i'm still gonna want to do good things for people like i don't know <laughs> absolutely again right there with you yeah worm food and just be good to people yeah i don't what's, yeah. like what's wrong like, with that <laughs> exactly at the end of uh every interview i like to ask the same question but i tailor it depending on the film so on a scale from one to ten with one being the lowest and ten being the highest how many David Byrne running laps around the stage do you give this film? Do you give it one or 10 laps? One to 10 laps. Oh, man. A good 15. <laughs> All right. That is the correct answer. Um, yes, 15 is what I had written down here. That's perfect. And I also just kind of want to wrap up by saying, you know, um, my my husband's really good at if we if we both really get into something which for us together was watching during the pandemic, Stop Making Sense over and over again. He's an interviewer as well. So he'll be like, you know what? I like talking to this person. I like talking. And so he ended up talking to Lynn Mayberry and um, uh, Edna Holt uh, during the pandemic just from watching that Amazing. film. And he got in touch with them and then introduced me to them. And if people are interested, you can check out our sub pop singles release, Mr. Minds, and it features uh vocal riffing vocals of Edna Holt on the recording so I just want to like throw that out there <laughs> that is amazing yeah. is that available online yeah that's to... available on the sub pop site it's available I'm 
pretty sure we, we I'm sure you can find it on our website. It might be on Bandcamp. I'm not sure. I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes. I'll put a link to it for sure. So we did get to do a song with Edna Holt, and it just stemmed from putting on "Stop Making Sense" every day. <laughs> and what was it like? I mean, what was that experience like? What um, we like? had to do it all, you know, like virtually or whatever. So she would like send me files, and I send it back or whatever. And uh, it was great. She's a lovely person. We're still in touch. She checks in on me. I check in on her. She's in her seventies. Um, and oh she's God. just, yeah, she's sweet. I mean, we, I remember at one point we spent, I don't know, like an hour on the phone, just like talking and just like, she feels like family. So I never thought in a million years I would get a chance to work with anyone that was on that stop making sense stage. Um, yes. and so it was just really an honor. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, 70, it's just like this film captures them. They're just babies still. Yeah. David Byrne. I mean, they're like 31, you know, it's, it's 84, just- right? Is that when it was? Yeah, 84. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's nice. It seems like right now, A24 is going to be doing a reissue of the film. Um, and it'll be streaming soon, too. And it's the first time the band's been together doing, like, interviews for the first time in a long time. And um, that's kind of been nice. I know that they have kind of a complicated, kind of cold history post-Talking yeah. Heads. Um, you know, Chris Franz finding out that the band had broken up, like, in a newspaper. Um, things like that. But... Hey, youth, rock and roll. Yeah. It's complicated. <laughs> That's why I was asking with your about your brother. I was like, all right, cool. Just make sure, make sure he doesn't read about anything in a newspaper about the oh, band. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was great. It was really great to see you. Thank you, Chris. This was really fun. Thanks for asking and reaching out. This was awesome. And I'm glad I got to do this one <laughs> before Me anyone too. else did. I, I give it I also give it fifteen laps. And uh, <laughs> and three white booted leg, leg kicks from you as well. That's right. All right. I'll see you <laughs> next right. time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to Revolutions Per Movie. We release new episodes every Thursday. So be sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. And if you've enjoyed this, it would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review it as well. You can follow us on social media at Revolutions Per Movie and also find out more information about our various guests in the episode show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye.